We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi guys, welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown. It's your Wednesday, January 11th episode. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we have uh, quite a few topics to discuss here. Uh, we always do this, and I know we did it last year with Jordan, so I wanted to bring Jordan on to do this again. I have not gone back, Jordan. At some point I will, because this is kind of January is where I pay attention to what happened, why it happened. And you and I always do the pod before the year of, if it goes wrong, here's what it looks like. I have not tortured myself enough to go back and listen to that, but I would imagine at some point I will. Maybe we'll do this. You and I can re-listen to it um, between now and next week and and uh, go through and talk about about what we said and whether things came true or not. But I want to hit on something a little more fun after we came out of that loss to Pittsburgh and doing the season awards allows for some initial reflection on sort of where, where it all goes uh, from the year, where it went, I should say. Uh, and launches into where it goes the rest of the off season. So we're going to do 2022 season awards. And uh, first, before we get to the categories, Jordan, welcome in, man. What's up? How are you? I'm good, man. Um, it's raining sideways here in California. Um, I brought I brought some of that Ohio weather uh, back with me out here. It was wild. I um, I was lucky enough to get to go. Um, I guess you could call it cover the uh the national championship game last night i was more doing like social media stuff obviously as is my job so uh but uh so that was quite the experience but um it was wild because a lot of people i mean they talk about on the broadcast i don't know uh, but a lot of people may not realize that like sofi stadium in la has a lot of like it's not a closed uh stadium like there's openings to the outside behind either end zone uh it doesn't have like a a legitimate roof. It has like a canopy, like that kind of just covers it. So it was wild to, I got to go on the field after the game uh, for the trophy ceremony. And like, there was raindrops coming down and it was just a very surreal experience to be uh, on that field. Uh, and it, there was wind, there was rain. Uh, so just very wild, man. It's been a wild couple of, a uh, couple of days here, weather wise. I'm going to be honest, Jordan. Uh, I don't hear your weather complaints. It just a flat out. I can't hear him right now. So, um, 
you know, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to play that violin for you. Uh, I do hope the rain stops, man. That stuff's scary out there. Uh, you know, especially considering yeah. the place is not, it's not used to it, but, but that game, I think the funniest thing for me, man, is that Georgia puts out a mocking the horned frog segment the hip, in the, th- the early third quarter, the hypnotoad in the early third quarter. I could yeah, not man. stop laughing at that. And then I have to share too. I don't know if anybody noticed this, uh, that, that somebody recorded Kirby Smart's pregame speech. Have you heard this? I I um, have heard it. Pretty fiery. Pretty fiery. And then somebody responded to it. Did you see the response to it? That was I did not it see the response. Been, it w- it might have been one of the funniest things. I was sitting in my office laughing so hard my wife had to come back and ask if I was okay. So somebody took all the cuss words that he said yeah. and cut it into Hey, here I did the highlights for you, and it's just cuss word, cuss word, cuss word, cuss word, cuss word, cuss word, <laughs> and I believe in you at the very end. It is so funny. I couldn't, man, couldn't stop laughing. It's anyway. Uh, yeah, go ahead. It, I was just gonna say it cracks me up. Like the coaches, and you know, Kirby Smart is so polished in media interviews. Like if you hear him talk, and same thing with like Nick Saban and and a lot of these guys who are just like very, very polished and have media training. And so whenever you get to hear, like. You know, one of these things where, you know, I'm sure whoever recorded that was not supposed to be recording it. Um, but when, mm-hmm. so when you get a private moment like that and you just hear them sort of let loose, I love it because it's like, ah, there it is. There's the actual human being behind some of these very like made for TV press conferences. I love that stuff because, yeah, the swear, the swear words per, per second, you know, that was, uh, he was setting some records there. So, but I mean, how can you not? How could you not, as a player, get get super fired up after hearing that? So that was uh, it was great. Um, that was a, that was just a, a destruction, though. Somebody, I also did laugh very hard because somebody was like, you know, was like Stetson Bennett shouldn't get to celebrate being a twenty five year old beating all these college kids. I laughed pretty hard at that. So um, it was a uh, yeah, man. What a what a team Georgia has. It didn't even look like TCU looked like they should not be in the same division or league or, you know, they, they like they should be relegated after that game. That's how that's how good Georgia was. So pretty wild. I thought TCU would have been better served by losing a close game to Michigan. Like that did some irreparable damage to their brand. Like, yes. I don't absolutely I don't any of that ending very positively for where their brand is going. But maybe I don't know, maybe they do, but they've gotten a lot of transfer portal activity. A lot of Alabama guys heading that way. But um I mean, the Ohio State game was the national championship, and it's even more like Ohio football just punching you in the face, at least for those of us that care about Ohio State and Cleveland, is is just saying, like, this is it. Like, they, they, they win that they win that Georgia game, which they had every right to win, and yep. you, you win a national champ. So it's like, man, the Browns to watch in Georgia. It's like, it's like football just hasn't been fun. I, I'm I'm really asking myself of late, when does the fun uh, like to get derived out of this? Because I'm not, it's not fun. It's not fun right now. I'm just going to keep it at that. It's not fun. And and a part of that, not fun. We're going to dive into these Browns season awards, or even like, I don't even know if they're awards. Some of them are awards. maybe some, some demerits, are, demerits, you know, some demerits wait, wait, are going to be given out. Yeah. Demerits yeah. are going to be given out. So here's the categories we have offensive MVP, defensive MVP runner up, because we know who the defensive MVP is without even talking about it. Um, then we do some um, the unexpected uh, player of the year. So a guy who didn't have much expectation, obviously, and rises up to have a great year. That's that's me defining what unexpected means for you. Uh, rookie of the year, most improved, most disappointing, and then best slash worst game uh, of the year. So picking your best and your worst effort of this year. So Jordan, I will let you hit lead off. You will be the Ricky Henderson of this podcast. 
Um, I actually heard uh, to, to different leadoff hitters unexpected here. Deion Sanders today. Did you catch that bit from him on the McAfee show? No, I uh, I did not. I saw him at the uh, um, uh, at the national championship last night. That man, just as an aside, um, that man has got to be on an airplane every single day. I don't know how he's everywhere at once. It's insane. So I what saw a magnetic him. Magnetic uh, personality. The, absolutely, but uh, no, I didn't catch the uh, I didn't catch the McAfee appearance. So he he loves Cincinnati. Obviously, played baseball there. Talked about how he like in his prime Cincinnati years, which is like ninety what would it be 93, 94, uh, 95, and kind of maybe into 96. I'm not totally sure. I don't study Dion's career, but it was mid nineties. He loved being in Cincinnati so much. He called the Bengals and was like, I want to make this a two sport thing and just stay in Cincinnati, build a house. So his people reached out to Cincinnati's people in the mid nineties. He's like, they just never called me back. They never even showed interest. Like prime Dion Sanders says, I want to stay here and play football for your city. And they just never called him back. So it was kind of a funny little anecdote. But but anyway, yeah. um, you know, we we kind of we kind of pivot here and talk about about this season where they go seven and ten. We're not gonna do anything coaching wise here. We're just gonna sort of focus on the players and and I think when you look at offensive MVP, there's some guys who uh who stand out here and 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 I think like I said, you're the Dion of this pod, you get to lead off and um I'm interested who you have. So go ahead. Yeah, man, it was hard for me not to go with Amari Cooper. Um, I think, you know, it's hard to separate too, like the trade from the player just because from the production that you got from Amari Cooper and then you look back and, you know, the Browns gave up a 2022 fifth round draft pick and a swap of their 2022 sixth rounders uh, and, they, and they got Amari Cooper. Um, it, it remains probably one of the the better trades that the, the Browns have, have made in, in recent memory. And I think that that only sort of then boosts like, you know, the production that you got from him. I just think he was everything as advertised. Almost went for twelve hundred yards, uh, seventy-eight receptions, nine touchdowns. I mean, you know, led the team, I think, in average yards per catches at almost fifteen a pop. Like mm-hmm. I think what you what we knew of Amari Cooper, at least what I knew of him, is a sort of route running savant, but it, it also just it feels like he's more than that. Like I think like a lot of people give him now he's not he's never going to be the fastest dude. Obviously he's not like Jamar Chase out here, but um, he's and he he does run these precision routes. I mean I think we you saw highlight after highlight of him you know just making a corner look silly with sort of how technically sound he is with his routes. But he's also just a guy that knows knows how to get open. And those guys are so valuable. Like whether you know finding a spot in the zone, um, making just really big catches. Um, uh, the game a couple weeks ago uh, against uh, in the second half against the Commanders, where he, you know the game changed. Those two touchdowns to Mark Cooper were were complete game changers. Um, so he was everything as advertised. He's he's still like a very clear kind of number one guy, even as he continues to kind of get older and go into the second half of his career. So um, I mean, without Amari, you know, this receiving core it, it's a little tough after that. Uh, and Amari really had to put a lot on his shoulders as that number one guy. Uh, with defenses knowing he's that number one guy and he still put together, you know, one of his best seasons in the NFL. So Amari Cooper was as advertised. And I think for what the Browns were able to get him for um, and to sort of, you know, stay afloat with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, like Amari was a huge part of that. Um, so I, I think the MVP for me offensively has got to go to, to Amari Cooper in his, in his first season as a, a Browns wideout. And hopefully, you know, we're talking about next season, he has a similar year and it, and it results in, uh, a playoff appearance for him. So um, 
that that's what we hope for. But yeah, yeah, he was he was as advertised for the Browns this season. Yeah, that wasn't a zero risk play. Uh, Cooper has had some injury issues, and yeah. there were people certainly in Dallas who feared that he was falling off, and that's why they shipped him out. He ends up, like you said, putting up tying his rookie year for the second best average catch uh, yards per catch. You know, the eleven sixties, the second best he's had in his career, only to twenty nineteen, the most touchdowns he's had in a single season with nine. I would call it a resounding success that trade. Um, you hope though that you can get two good year, great years from him to your point, right? You know, get, get two great years would be a, a really nice outcome, but for year one, it could not have gone any better for the acquisition there, um, you know, of, of him. So, um, I should note too, pro football focus put out there, all pro guys. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Nick. Um, there were two guys on offense outside of Cooper who were named to the, uh, PFF all pro team not that there won't be other versions of this I know the players are actually voting on uh, their own version as well Um, but but Nick Chubb I think it's fair to go with him based on I thought the second half of the year did not go as well for Nick largely because the offensive line struggled more but he just uh, it looked like he was getting worn down and I don't think he was as clean from a vision perspective as he has been um, but, but again, that's just me sort of nitpicking again. He's, he's, he's an all pro according to those who are grading every snap. And he had, I mean, he had a nice year. You're looking at his highest individual offensive grade, his highest individual rushing grade, 90.7. Um, and, and then, uh, looking at total yards, his best year, 1,525, uh, total yards. He ties his, uh, career best with 12 touchdowns. He had 1,050 yards after contact, which is nuts. His second Oof. highest total in his career is second year. His first year as a starter, he had 12, 11, 22. He forced 83 missed tackles this year. His previous career high was 66. He had a 47 10-plus yard runs. His previous career high was 41. He had 23 15-plus yard breakaway runs. His previous high was 20. He had 69 nice first down rushes, so that's impressive. He had his second best receiving season where he put up 27 catches on 33 targets, 239, um, and a touchdown in that department too. Comparing him to his peers, because I think that's always, um, you know, always worth our time. Uh, looking at Nick's rushing grades, uh, the, the run grade was only topped by Josh Jacobs. Jacobs actually ended up forcing more missed tackles. He had 90 to Nick's 83, and he had 11.56 yards after contact to Nick's 10.50. And these were the two guys who were the uh, one-two in rushing chase. You know, uh, Josh Jacobs finishes with 1,653 to Nick's 1,525. I will say Jacobs did end up getting 40 more carries. Nick maybe catches him. He had, Nick actually outrushed him on a, uh, a per-carry basis, which won't make the people who are loving or wanting you to run the football all the time, very happy. But well, it was only the, by a tick. Five yeah, and the Raiders don't. Four point nine. The Raiders don't have a viable, you know, backup that they're, you know, they don't have a Kareem Hunt type of guy that they're sort of bringing in for full drives to spell Josh Jacobs either. So, uh, Indeed. you know, um, Nick breaks 40, uh, 47 10 yard runs, forty one for Jacobs, and then uh, fifteen yard runs, fifteen for uh, Jacobs, and, and twenty three for Nick. Um, a lot more first downs for Josh Jacobs than Nick, it's 94 to 69, so a significant number of first down runs. And Jacobs ended up catching uh, 53 to Nick's 27. So I thought Josh Jacobs had a sneaky, unexpected, really good year for 
for uh, Las Vegas. Uh, but Nick was himself. He's been himself. He's been this guy at the top of these lists for a while. So I think you could say him. And then, I mean, I think, I mean, Joel Batonio continues to just be unbelievably consistent. And, um, you know, if you look at, if I would imagine if we go in here and look at collective NFL grades for blocking, you're probably going to see him at the top of this list. I'm trying to do this kind of stuff quickly on the fly. But if you're looking at guards from a pass blocking perspective, Batonio was seventh. From a run blocking perspective, he was second. Overall offensive grade, he was second. So, I mean, that's that's elite. Those two are stone cold elite guys year in and year out. So those two deserve credit. I think Cooper's a great answer too because they didn't have anybody to do what he does and he stepped up to the plate and hit it. But Nick and, and Joel, um, I don't think you can go wrong with any of those three. Those are the three that stood out most to me. So those are your offensive MVPs. Now, defensive MVP is tough because we're talking about replacing a coordinator. <laughs> that means everybody failed. Miles was still special. There was an uh, there was something put out today. I posted it to the OBR guys. Um, it, it was it was actually was actually mind blowing um, that that uh, the the smart folks over at uh, PFF again. Um, some of this stuff is above me, and I, you got to read a little bit of it. But they're evaluating edge rushers. Okay, so they have a, a, a X and Y axis here. So on the post, the farther you are on the right, is the difficulty um, is is the expected like the difficulty of assignment. Sorry, the ease of assignment. So basically what it says, if this chart, and I'll, I'll post a link to this chart so you guys who are listening to this who might be, be clueless have an idea. But this says basically um, easier assignment, you're further right. Harder assignment, you're toward the left. So they're not giving you help. They're not giving you guys around you performing well. You're eating a lot of double teams. There, there's a lot that goes into that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy it right now and send it to you, Jordan, so you can see what I'm uh, – uh, I I'm saw talking, I'm talking about I did um, see this. I saw this tweet. Okay, just making uh, sure of this graph. Yep. It, it's unbelievable. So like guys who performed really well this year, like Nick Bosa is kind of in the middle. I mean, Miles Garrett is, is so far to the top left of this chart in terms of he's, he he's on an able, island by himself, man. Yeah, like he what he was able to do as a pass rusher. Um, you gotta kind of see it to believe it. Now, Micah Parsons, who I also think is really special, is also sort of near him. But this is a, this is a story of how hard Miles' career is to get the things he's getting compared to his peers like T.J. Watt, how far to the right in terms of simplicity of what he's dealing with on a down-to-down basis. So, like, I don't know, man. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing, and I don't think that we do enough justice for, for Miles. And I, I want to look at uh, real quick how he finished compared to his peers at the top, if you don't mind, Jordan, while we're here. So, um Miles finishes with the NFL's highest pass rushing grade. Um, that that says something to me. Now, total pressures, he finishes fifth. He did not have as many pass rush snaps as some of these guys. Like Max Crosby had 650 pass rush snaps. Miles had 490. So Parsons got wow. 90 and 14 sacks. Man, the, Ra- the Raiders are really... Uh... Raiders really driving their guys into the ground oh, over boy. there they between Jacobs and Max Crosby. My goodness. That's kind of nuts, isn't it? Um, so Bosa finishes with 19 sacks, uh, Hassan Reddick and, and Miles finish with 18 apiece. Now the NFL does half sacks and some different stuff. So that doesn't always, uh, that doesn't always yield the same thing. But I think what's amazing is that how few hits compared to his peers that Miles ended up getting like, 
I think that for a guy who has 73 pressures to only get eight hits on a quarterback tells you how quickly the football often came out. It's, it's kind of yep. bananas. His win percentage was the best uh, pass rush. Win percentage was the best at beat Bosa by uh, just under a percentage point, 25.6 to 24.8 um, true pass set grades. This is when this is the toughest stuff there is, right? This is where the, the, the line has, no advantage. You're probably dealing with uh, some sort of predictable pass situation. How well do you perform? You're probably getting double teamed a little bit, right? You know, you got to be able to handle that stuff. He had the best grade in that department uh, as well. And um, it put up 10 sacks in those scenarios, 26 hurries. He's really good, man. He's just really good. And I, I think that at times he's getting worn down. I think more than any year, I think Jordan I've noticed now it could be the car crash played into it too. And there's a lot here, but like he, um, and you know, the people that want to say he doesn't defend the run. I think you can, you can get into that argument. I think there just were times this year where he was worn down. And like, I think that he started to be so defeated by the poor run defense around him um, that mentally, I think it just started to take a toll on him. I mean, he still finishes 19th out of, you know, how many are here, man, uh, set 57 edges. So it's not like he's a liability. He was probably their best overall run defender. I mean, the top of this group is Max Crosby, like Josh Allen, Cam Jordan, Bose is up there. So he could certainly uptick in this department, but it's not like he's some gigantic liability. Like he's still yeah. putting up dominant stats here um, and getting less opportunities to rush the passer uh, because the Browns are obviously unable to stop the run. Right. So, just a lot of moon parts here, but we, we just want to appreciate you, Miles. Just let just let you know that both of us appreciate you because you're you're yeah. You know, it's one of one. We we see what you go through. We see all the double teams. We see the chips. Um, that has to be one of the most. That's got to be so incredibly frustrating to have to deal with on a game to game basis, especially this season where you weren't getting the production from Clowney on the other side. You're getting really no interior rush whatsoever. I mean, it's really like Miles. You know, like he is the only guy on that line. Um, that guys are really doing a lot of game planning for. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine he's incredibly frustrated. Um, and, you know, hopefully the Browns can sort of su- find, a, find a way to supplement um, supplement him again, uh, as they have in the past. Um, you know, like last season with Clowney, even when they had, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, the interior, Shel- Sheldon Richardson, was that who it was, where they had the interior that one year who, um, you know, played yeah. pretty well and was able to get some pressures. Like they just need someone else uh, on that line to. And Larry to help. was still here. Um, at that and time. Larry yeah. and Larry, I miss Larry. I always miss Larry. He flashed a little bit yesterday or on Sunday, I should say. Um, anyway, face but yeah, off. I'll tell you that. Much, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, on, sure, you sure did, Larry. We all saw it, Larry. Um, <laughs> Come on, but Blair. Uh, but yeah, man. Shout out to Miles for pushing through what. Uh, when he's really the only dude on that line that anyone is, is checking for. So uh, we appreciate you miles. Now we go past miles and we talk about defensive, like runner up player of the year. And it gets, um, gets bleak quick, man. Some of these, what we saw this year on top of the grades, uh, I don't think there's a ton of candidates here. I'll let you put your guy out there first. See if we cross over here, but, but this is, um, it's kind of bleak, man. It's not great. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I think like we talked about, um, I have this guy for a couple of these, but we can kind of all encompass in one. I mean, I thought, you know, Grant Delpit to me, um, especially the second half of the season as a guy who 
you know, even though his final year at LSU, uh, he dealt with some injuries and, and that's why he dropped and, and just didn't have the, you know, the same production that he did earlier in his college career, which is why he sort of dropped and, and the Browns were able to get him. Um, you know, you had expectations for him uh, and he's been through a lot, obviously missing his entire rookie year um, to injury. And then, you know, didn't really, uh, last season, there wasn't a ton of, there'd be a flash here and there, but I think finally in the second half of this season, um, I think you saw like what Grant Delpit can be for this defense. And I, you know, I think a lot of what he's good at, the Browns also just have not really been able to put him in a position to, to succeed at it. Um, but I think as he's, you know, as he learned the system more, as he learned how to play, uh, he's that guy. I mean, he, Grant Delpit to me flashed a ton, you know, obviously he's great against the run. Um, He's a great kind of in-the-box safety. He's got really good instincts, and he's a he's a pretty good tackler. Now, he's had some – he does have some misses occasionally that can be a little egregious, but, like, overall, I think he's a very good tackler. Um, and I think you saw – you know, I think he le- led the team in interceptions with four this season. Like, he's also a guy that, you know, can play when he – if you put him in the middle of the field a little bit, you let him kind of be a robber a little bit. Like, he can – he can do some of those things. I don't think he's a, you know, he's not a true free safety and he's not a guy that's going to be able to cover a lot. But like, I think those things that he's good at, he was able to be put in position a little bit to do them more in the second half of the season. And I think you really saw him like find a rhythm in the second half. And I, and that's got to be a bit of a relief, I think to the brass, because you know, that was a, you know, he's playing, he's a starting safety for the Cleveland Browns. Like he's, you know, he's got to have that production, especially, and he's, and he's got the name. I think everybody remembers him from LSU. And so like, he's, he was a guy where maybe the expectations weren't through the roof, but like it was nice to see him in the second half of the season really come alive and really start to play some good football and, and give you a little bit of hope that, you know, whoever the, the, the new coordinator is that the Browns eventually bring in, like that they are at least have some pieces still um, in the defensive backfield that, you know, hopefully can make an impact. And I think you saw that from Grant. So um, I'm going to give this one, I'm going to give it to Grant for, especially for that second half of the season. Yeah, I think a lot of the things you said there are very true, and I don't really have much to add to it. And um, he's an exciting piece of the future, and I think he'll be an integral part of the pitch to whoever they end up hiring at DC. Is this is a guy you get to yep. work with in your in your uh, in your secondary? So, um, all right. I, I mean, I would probably say Grant is a great answer. I mean, but at this point, you're talking about they had uh, one, two, three guys who played serious snaps for them finished with a defensive grade over 70. So the pickings are pretty slim here. I mean, in terms of guys who showed up and showed out now, this guy's going to be our, obviously as we had miles as the bluntly obvious defensive, uh, most valuable player. I think that, that Martin Emerson was abundantly, obviously the, uh, def- the rookie of the year in general for this team. And, um, is is probably fair for him to make some lists league wide for defensive side. I know Sauce Gardner seems like he's going to run away with it on defense, but I thought Emerson put up a really good season, and you could put him in a lot of categories here. Most unexpected, I think, is yep. fair. You know, like um, there's a lot of different things you could you could label him here, but um, for for a guy who you know you got to think Newsom's playing a different position. He's altering Denzel Ward. We'll talk more about it a little later. You're getting into like a guy who held it down. I mean, he played 783 snaps, 500 coverage snaps, and he finished with a 75.1 coverage grade, which is, which is pretty good. Only giving up responsible for 503 yards. He did account for four touchdowns, which is higher than you want it to be, but not the end of the world considering how many times he was targeted. And he had nine pass breakups, which is again, a really solid number. And if you want to be like, 
as extremely excited about him as you possibly can. And you look around, you look around the league, especially if you look at just like, you know, rookie reports for coverage grades and stuff like that from draft year 22. Um, he has, uh, the sixth highest coverage grade in the class and he played more snaps than like, you know, guys in front of him. If you sort of break it off by 80% of snaps or sorry, 50% of snaps, guys who played a lot, he's, he's fourth. He's right behind Trent McDuffie. But again, he played more snaps. He's right there with like Tariq Woolen and Sauce Gardner, who are guys who are considered to have some of the best seasons overall in this entire rookie class. Now, he didn't come up with an interception. You know, Woolen had six and a couple from Sauce, but he had nine pass breakups, which is second most tied tied with Woolen, right? Um, as far as like what he gave up pass catching wise, his average target distance wasn't you know very far. He gave up uh, the, the 503 yards only beat by, uh, Gardner and McDuffie in that department in terms of yards allowed. So there's a lot of encouraging metrics for him here. And he played the run fairly well, in my opinion. So I think you're talking about a guy who played even league wide. If you break this out away from draft class, you're talking about coverage grades league wise. This is an encouraging thing to finish 17th in your rookie year. Now year over year, we'll see what it shakes out and looks like, but I feel encouraged by that. His pass breakup nine, 10th tied for 10th in the, in the entire uh, cornerback position. So there's a lot of Martin Emerson stuff here that I think if they didn't have him and they let go of, of uh, Troy Hill and were banking on like greedy Williams to anchor this, uh, whatever, whatever you can see where it could have gone downhill extremely quickly. And they got a lot of ex- like really solid play out of him. And I mean, I mean I'm going to be honest. I, li- I liked Emerson. There's some parts of it. I didn't expect it. I really, I really didn't expect him to come in and fit in that well that quick. So I, I think he deserves a lot of praise for, you know, there were faults. There were things he did incorrectly. There's stuff, there's moments he would want back, but stepping in, figuring it out as a rookie, I was, I was thoroughly impressed with uh, Martin Emerson. I think he deserves some credit um, with, with the best performers on this defense uh, throughout the year. So we'll give him some credit. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, First of this episode, when we get back, we're going to switch over to unexpected player of the year. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So 
with unexpected player of the year, we're looking Jordan, like it, it, it guys who uh, we either didn't think much of coming into the year or um, maybe didn't expect them to have a role. They were put into that role that we weren't expecting, but just, yeah. What were the expectations? Were they low? That would probably be the starting point. And then yeah. launching into a pretty good, uh, pretty good season. So I'll let you go first. Yeah. I mean, I think initially, um, you know, my guy here was also Grant Delpit just because, um, you know, I did not know, you know, what he was going to be. Um, and, and he turned, I, I think the biggest thing there is like, I, I mentioned previously, but I think the biggest thing there from him was like, not only did he, you know, sort of flash in the second half of the season, but he was like a main reason, you know, why they had some pretty, you know, <laughs> towards the end of the year, they did have a couple of pretty good defensive performances down the stretch. Now, not really when it, when it mattered um, and, and maybe against some offenses that weren't that great, but like, you know, he was a, he was a legitimate game changer on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and that was not something that I expected. I think I just sort of, you know, hoped that, uh, that he would at, at least make enough improvement where you feel like he's a part of this defense moving forward. And I think he did much more than that, um, which is really, really uh, encouraging. So I think like, that's why Delpit for me, um, I think was a guy that, that fits multiple categories, because again, like, you know, and we'll get to your pick here shortly, but like you just go down the list and they're just, especially defensively. Um, and there just weren't that many options to pick from, unfortunately, which is something we'll kind of get into as we go down. But um, yeah, I think the best option there for me is like, not only, you know, was he sort of a runner up on the defensive MVP side of the ball, but also just, I think it was unexpected. I think for him to make that big of an impact in the second half was not something that I expected at all from, from Grant. I think you maybe expected it from, some other guys on that defense to really, you know, take a bigger leap. And, and a lot of them didn't, but, but I think Grant did. So I, I'm going to kind of cheat here a little bit and use him for another one, but I do think that it fits. Um, I think it fits that description. And again, like we'll get into there, there unfortunately weren't a lot of other options of guys where you're like, Oh, that was awesome. He really came along in year two or whatever it may be, uh, which is not, uh, which is not a, a positive for the Browns, but I think, um, I, I think Grant was that guy as well. Yeah, I have no problem with putting him in, in like to the point that he was one of the better. I mean, this is by virtue of <laughs> the, the the run defense he's playing in. He led the all safeties and run stop plays, which is which is imperative, obviously, with with what he was needed to do down near the line of scrimmage due to their nature, again, of their run defense issues. So, I mean, you know, he was among his uh, the best in the, of the league at four interceptions. Like, I, I mean, his expectations were there before the season, but he, he blew them away. So I, th- I think I think he's still got so much room to grow and get better, but I think that's a fair pick. I, I think I'm, I'm going to go on the other side. There are two people I think you could pick for this uh, postage, Ethan postage, who wasn't even expected to really play. I mean, Nick Harris was the guy um, we know how that uh, went in the first preseason game postage is thrust in. And all of a sudden he's, he's the anchor, the center. He, he feels like JC Treader out there looks the same. He's got the Alex Mack number. He's playing really good football and, I think that's uh, something that caught us all by surprise. Now he he caught a lot of the uh, Browns run game has struggled. Well, they're they're missing him, and I don't think Postich is that good. I think he's had a nice year. He ends up actually third of all centers in collective blocking grade this year, um, which is you know which is extremely impressive for for the young man uh, collectively in terms of run blocking grade. He was fifth best in run blocking grade, pass blocking grade. He ends up eighth far superior to what any of us thought he would do based on his one-year deal, very minimal money, 
thinking Nick Harris was the guy. And look, look Nick, Nick could come back from this ACL and he could be the guy. He could be just fine. But I thought Postage really blew it away in an unexpected fashion uh, to be a really, really nice player. And then, I mean, you got you'd be remiss if you didn't just at least mention Jacoby. I don't think any of us yep. expected Jacoby to play that well in 11 games. Like we thought, we thought the flip of what this ended up being, where they averaged like 12.8 per the final six games on offense um, per game. And it's like, that's what we thought the beginning of the season might be right. Like, yep. I don't think any of us thought that the beginning of the season would be this hyper-efficient offense, Jacoby being a top 10 QBR passer rating, graded quarterback, uh, all that stuff. So um, I think Jacoby would be a very fair winner. Like those two on offense completely stand out to me. And I think you pin down the guy on defense uh, for sure. So those are the yeah, guys. Who I mean, above. I, that's really good. I think, Postage is a is a great pick, but also like yeah, shout out to Jacoby for I mean not only like really anchoring an offense that if that Jets game doesn't happen, uh, which you know was out of his control, um, and some other things don't happen, you know he he may have been a guy that not saying that they would have ever not started Deshaun when he came back, but like he would have steered this team um, into a playoff appearance and like. That to me um, is a really is a really big deal uh, for you know the quality of quarterback that he's really been over his career and and how he really you know Kevin Stefanski gave him options and he ran with it um, and I think so obviously he had a lot less um, a lot less plays a lot less snaps than a lot of these you know quarterbacks who are, who started every game but like he finished by um, the you know I like going on. Um, ben Baldwin's site that does EPA and, and completion percentage over over expected a composite of those two numbers um, in how they rank quarterbacks. And he finished 11th <laughs> the entire season. He's he's just behind Trevor Lawrence, who had an incredible second half of the year. Um, Jared Goff is actually up here too, which is, uh, you know, which is interesting. But um, Dude, did you see Jared like he, Goff's end of the year? I think that that's an unbelievable. He had like 15 touchdowns yeah. and no interceptions to like, yeah, there's some unbelievable Jared Goff metrics to end the season, like 4,500. Yeah. Anyway, Ben Johnson, there are. And, is going to get the job somewhere doing something. Oh, he absolutely is. And if you just do it by EPA per play, Jacoby Brissett was top 10. He was he was number 10. Exactly. So, like, yeah. you know, obviously, who knows how if he plays the whole season, how those numbers would change. But I, I honestly don't think they would have changed that much. I think he would have finished top 15 at the very least. So, like, that is you know, to a credit, both, both a credit to, to Kevin and, and the offense and, and making it, you know, easy, easy is not the right word, but just hyper-efficient, like you said, I think is a really good way to describe it. And Jacoby conducted it um, in a way that I think you should, like, he should be really proud of. I thought it was just a really cool story for him to have to deal with like everything being basically a bridge for this very expensive and controversial quarterback. And, and he handled it with a lot of grace uh, and played really well. So um he was awesome and the numbers sort of bear that out so i think like giving him a proper shout out is uh is a big thing here because like you see in the nfl the drop off in play with some of these backup quarterbacks and you know jacoby started for a lot of his career um but he's also you know probably a a, a backup a caliber quarterback but like you look at like I mean, Jake, I was watching that Dolphins game, and you look at, like, Skylar Thompson try to operate an offense when you have Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, and he couldn't – I mean, I think he threw for 120-some yards. You know, like, there's – there are just guys – now, to be fair, he's a third stringer. Bridgewater got hurt. But even still, like, there there are just guys that come in and just cannot run even the easiest of offenses. Um, and, and Jacoby didn't have that issue. So, so shout-out to Jacoby. 
I think the thing that was jarring for me is just how comfortable and how quickly he felt comfortable yep. in what they, this offense asks you to do. And I think that was underestimated by everybody because we've seen the flip side of that, which is Deshaun is not comfortable in it right now. Like, um, and we'll see how they figure that out. Cause it's obviously the single most important thing they navigate uh, in 2023 is getting Deshaun more comfortable in what they're doing. And, and it's just, it is this way sometimes it's just, this is the nature of it. Some guys find a system, the verbiage, the everything that they're really comfortable in it quickly. Some guys are not. And, and Deshaun is not right now. And I think it played out very obviously in that direction. I just thought that the nature by which Jacoby always felt comfortable. I never really felt like he was frazzled. Like I never felt like he was uncertain where his eyes were supposed to be. I never felt like he was uncertain where the foot now his talent limitations do certain things, right? There's not, there's not a yeah. doubt about that in my mind. And we saw that play out in several key moments of the season uh, with games on the line uh, and certainly some other throws where he's just limited, but, but I mean, he had a feel for when to take off. He had a feel for, you know, quick game throws when the ball needed to get out. And like I said, some quarterbacks are adept at that and some have other gifts. And I think we're trying to figure out a Kevin's trying to figure out with Deshaun, what are his, you know, how to optimize the gifts that he has. So I just think that that part of it for him where, hey, I understand everything that the coach wants here. He's got a feel for it. And um, it was it was just a, it was a joy to watch, a pleasure to watch. Um, OK, next one before we break is rookie of the year. We said that earlier, much like uh, defensive MVP. It's it's runaway Martin Emerson. We've already answered this. Um, so I don't even think we can answer it. So no, but I do, I do think well. I mean, we can take a break first if we want to, but it is probably worth. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get to the negative portion here of the of the show very quickly. But mm -hmm. you and I were just going down the list of of the rookie class and some of the grades, and uh, it's not, not great, Jake. Let, let's do this. We'll great. go to we'll go to rookie of the year and most disappointing after we do most improved. We'll finish with a fun All most right. improved metric. So. Um, you know, if you're if you're wanting to avoid the negative of the Brown season, don't come back after the break um, before we do that. So most improved. Uh, I'll let you go first with your most improved and then I'll go to mine. All right. Excellent. Um, I will give my most improved to Donovan Peoples-Jones, DPJ, the man with the hyphen. Um, you know, I think this season it really felt like he became an NFL receiver. I think there were throughout his time in Cleveland so far, there's been the idea of Donovan Peoples-Jones and like oh, well, I can't wait till he becomes this or he becomes this. And this isn't to say he by any means is uh, a superstar in the making or is going to be a number one receiver on, on anybody's roster. But like he really solidified himself, I think, as a consistent um, and pretty good second to, to third wide receiver on this Brown team. I mean, he was sort of forced into second wide receiver duty out of, you know, out of without really a choice. That, that's just what their wide receiver room looked like, especially um, with the, you know, the amount of tight ends that they use uh, in their offensive play calling. But, you know, he finished the season with, you know, the second most yards on the team after Amari. Obviously, he had 839, um, only three touchdowns, but he's not really a guy that, you know, is, is giving you those. He's more of a guy that uh, you and I were talking about, you know, I think like over 50% of his catches went for first downs. Like he's he's that kind of guy. Um, and he was, you know, he he really became almost like a security blanket a little bit, especially for Jacoby Brissett as a guy that, you know, when you needed a first down, uh, you get it to, to DPJ, who's a big physical guy who's going to be able to, you know, win at the at contested catches. He's going to win at that point. I know you have a stat about that or just his grade on that. Um, so I think like 
for me, it was now, was it an incredible, like huge leap season from, from DPJ? No, I don't think it was a season where we were like, wow, like moving forward, that guy uh, is going to be a huge, huge part of the offense. But I think like, I just wanted him to look like he belonged on a down to down basis in the NFL. And we hadn't seen that consistently yet. Uh, and I think this year we finally did. Um, and, and he felt like a guy that guys had to pay attention to on the defensive side of the ball after Amari Cooper. So, um, excuse me. I, uh, yeah, giving it to DPJ. Uh, hopefully his trajectory continues upward. But I think you saw from him really sure handed uh, a guy that is going to make tough catches. He may not be a guy that's ever going to get elite separation uh, or anything like that. But he's a guy that, you know, is going to get you first downs and is going to make plays. Um, I think you saw. You know, that play uh, out of the shadow of the brown zone, end zone, up the seam to DPJ yesterday. You know, I mean, the easy pitch and catch, he gets open, but he just secures it and he's able to outrun one corner, picks up a lot of yards after the catch. Like, hopefully that's the type of guy he can become, um, and that's a valuable player in an offense. So uh, I'll give it to DPJ for becoming, you know, a legitimate part, uh, a legitimate receiver in the NFL this season. Yeah, I mean, 61 catches, 839 yards, three touchdowns. You know, you, people forget in the in the disgusting season that was last season, he led them in receiving yards. So it's like, you know, and I, I totally agree with you. He he kind of felt like he belonged more this year than he's ever belonged. Uh, there is some stuff put out now. This was several weeks ago, not not several, but I would say about week 13, 14, where he was one of the strongest reception based guys in the NFL, where there are better, there are far superior separators and the Donovan is not a separator. He's just, he's just not, he's not twitchy enough, but he yeah. has this ability to catch the football in a variety of ways. And I'm not going to, I'm going to do some individual de- deep dives on some of these guys. So I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds, but he catches everything. And that matters. That's a role within an offense. I think that matters a backside dig guy, a vertical tree guy, like he can do those things really, really well. And, um, you know, as I continue to push that, I don't want to see more tight ends involved in what they do here. They need another receiver that is dynamic. I think if he's playing with two really good separators and, um, you know, guys like hypothetical veterans in this off season, uh, we saw Deandre Hopkins reference wanting a trade today. We saw Brandon cooks reference wanting a trade yesterday, it's a Tyler Lockett available. There are guys that are going to matter. If you're pushing a two-year all-in window, there are guys at the 29, 30-year-old, maybe even 31, who still have it that can be that guy I'm talking about here. But if you give Donovan two of those, I really think he is a perfect complement to that type of role here. I don't know that he's ever going to be great. I think he's just kind of – this is my opinion, Jordan. This is who he is. But this who he is – still is good enough to matter. And he makes a bunch of plays. And I think that that is, um, that's why he's a, he's a really fair, most improved choice. They needed him to be, I think we all came into this year with a lot of the Browns receiving group is really scared. And I didn't leave this year thinking that the Browns receivers were a part of the problem. Like I really didn't. I mean, you could talk about a third receiver. I think that's fair, but these top two did their job. Like they did their job. And um, I thought Donovan took, a lot of steps in the right direction. So from a pass catching perspective, I think that I'll stick kind of with it. And I thought that, that uh, with a guy with a lot of pressure, the contract he received based on what he's done, I thought David and Joku did a great job and really deserves. A, I don't know if it's most improved is fair, but he really improved and showed that he belonged. And in my opinion, um, among the tight ends that matter in the NFL. 
So he finished on the year in terms of yards. He finished 628 in only 14 games. Um, so he probably would have pushed closer to 800 for touchdowns. As far as receiving grades go, he had the sixth highest receiving grade right behind Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, George Kittle, um, you know, Kelsey, those are the guys in front of him. So for people that were just completely disparaging that contract, I think he really performed really well. Um, you know, he put up 341 yards after catch, which is seventh for the position, um, yards per reception, um, 12th yards per reception, yards per route run as a, as is an even uh, more friendly one, 12th than that again, average distance of target wasn't all too deep for him. Um, but when he got those deeper throws, he, he caught them. And again, what's interesting to me, um, you know, when you, when you look at what, what people tend to bag David on his drops, his, uh, his drop percentage was pretty respectable, uh, based on, on target share. I thought it was, was pretty good. Um, if you're looking at lowest drop rates, he's not necessarily in the lowest drop rate, but his 18, 18th from the bottom. I mean, you want, you want to work in that opposite direction, kind of looking at guys who get a decent number of targets. Uh, he was in the middle, middle ground there. So he had the, you know, guys who are here are guys with worse drop rates than him this past year alone. Um, so if, if you're looking at his drop rate uh, for David, I got to find him here again. It was a 6.5 guys below him, Darren Waller, Hunter Henry, Gerald Everett, Dalton Schultz, um, Dawson Knox, Isaiah likely. Those are guys with higher drop rates. He's right in the same realm as Mark Andrews. Um, you know, TJ Hawkinson, those are all in the same mold. So again, he, he was, he was good. He was really good. And he stepped up and he played level to contract. He was one of the better pass blockers when he stayed into pass block, his run blocking stuff was in the middle ground. It wasn't great, but I think he also had a really bunch of tough assignments. Uh, if you ask me in terms of uh, what they asked him to do in the run game, the gap blocking stuff they were asking him to do the, 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 he was setting the wall in, in zone schemes as a strong side tight end, like his assignments for what they asked him to do were in, incredibly challenging. And like, I just, I think that he is, in my opinion, the perfect 11 personnel tight end. Like he can, he can yep. do all the things in the run game. You need one extra guy to do, but he can do the pass game stuff too. And I don't want to see them going out and spending capital on a, a tight end in the draft. Like they have it, find another receiver that matters, space this field, get vertical and horizontal stretches and uh, David has proven to be worthwhile of their investment. So I think, you know, labeling him most improved, maybe not the best category, but he deserves some kind of shout out, in my opinion. And he did he did him uh, improve. Uh, I think this is always who he's been. It's been about opportunity for him. I think you would agree with me on that. But yep. uh, he, he met the challenge. So um, shout out to David. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but um, no, I, just, I, I really enjoyed I, him stepping up to meet what a lot of there were a lot of negative expectations for him this year. Yep. Um, I always thought the, the perception that he was one of the worst, like that he dropped a million passes per year was always off base. I think he had some glaring drops and that also, that always, you know, plays into the perception of, Oh, he, you know, he drops half the thing, half the ball thrown to him. I, I never thought that was the case. Um, so it was nice to see him, like you said, get the, get the snaps, get the consistency, uh, and really let himself get into a rhythm. And yeah, I mean, he's a weapon, man. He's, he's an incredible athlete. Um, and he will hopefully, you know, be one of the guys that Deshaun can, can lean on, uh, these next couple of seasons. So I think 
everything you said was really well put. Um, and I'm happy that with the opportunity, he took complete advantage of it because I've always been high on David and Joku. And I'm, uh, I'm happy that, uh, you know, he was able to showcase those skills. Okay, we're going to take our last break. We will be right back, and we will be taking a trip to Negativeville. So if you don't want to join us in Negativeville, have a great day. We'll be right back. Rookie of the Year is bleak, man. Talked about Emerson, kind of teased this category a little bit. There's not much. And I think that you could honestly put some of these guys in the the most disappointing. If you if you had a category for um, least MVP, right, or, or least met expectations, I think you could put yep. some of these guys – in the most disappointing category that'll come up after this one. But, you know, rookie of the year is Emerson, but you're talking about Alex Wright finishes 18 of 19 or sorry, 19 of 19 in worst grades for edge players drafted this past year, defense overall, uh, Perry on Winfrey's eight out of 11 defensive tackles. Now there are a couple drafted before him that are after him, but still not what we anticipated. David Bell, uh, if you include halfback, um, run, sorry, running back and tight ends, he was 26 out of 27 in the rookie class and receiving grade for qualifying metrics. He wasn't, he, he wasn't anything like what we thought. Like I, he was out there a lot. He ran a ton of routes. They just never yeah. threw it to him. And when they did, it was very much like, okay, there's not a bunch of separation here. There's not much going on after the catch. Like they're just, I just see I, right now I see a guy and I'm not even sure he's just a guy. Like I'm not even, sure that he belongs and in, in, in get, like, I want them to improve that position so badly. And I think so many people before the season were like, well, this young man is going to blah, blah. And we're going to do rookie reports and we'll get into this more as we do rookie reports a little later. But like, I just think that he was uh, let down and then you mix in like Jerome Ford um, doesn't really get many snaps. He does a nice job in kick return, but that's hard to quantify a guy getting your most important. And Cade York was, um, not on the, you know, not <laughs> he was a bottom three kicker, I think by most metrics in the league this year, I mean, unless he climbed out of it after his rough performances against like the Ravens, but I haven't checked it, but he, he was at the very bottom of those rates. So, um, we're not giving up on the class here, but th- there's not a ton of options. I mean, Michael Woods didn't play enough snaps to matter. So, and I, I mean, I, I did like some of what Michael Woods did over the past few weeks, but did not, not enough there to really give it. I, there, there just is nobody else other than Emerson is my point. Would yeah. you agree with that? I would agree. I th- and I think you and I sort of touched on David Bell too, where it's just like, I, I think in one of our pods, Jake, before the season with some bold predictions, I, I don't think it was super bold, but I, but I really felt like David Bell was going to have an opportunity to, you know, be a guy underneath and, and kind of in the slot that it, it was at least going to, you know, be a, be a guy that could move the chains a little bit, if nothing else. And, and it just did not happen. And I, and I feel like in the preseason, he even had a, you know, a few games where that's what it looked like. Now, obviously preseason is a really hard indicator for future success just because of who some of these guys are playing against when they're on the field in terms of second and third stringers. But like, he just didn't make an impact at all. Um, you know, had the concussion. So missed a couple games there too, but man, the, the David Bell thing is disappointed because, you know, it felt like there was the opportunity there for him as, as a third guy kind of underneath to, to make a somewhat of an impact. It, that just didn't, that just did not come to fruition in any way. So the rookie class is tough, man, outside of Emerson. It was, it's not a banner year for, for Andrew Berry's draft class, which, um, which is a little bit concerning. Uh, so that's, uh, that is, that's our first, we, we've taken a step into negative bill and that's sort of like that first area is the draft class just really outside of Emerson did not have a lot of high moments. Yeah, not a defined group. It's got a lot of time. We, we're not, we're not yep. saying it doesn't. You could certainly say Isaiah Thomas had flashes. 
of moments as a seventh round pick. Um, DeAnthony Bell uh, had some moments too as a UDFA uh, who made the roster and all of that. But yeah, there are um, there's there's just outside of Emerson right now, not a ton of optimism. But again, it's early. It's really early. Um, okay, moving to disappointing, most disappointing. I think there are when your team goes seven and ten and you see a lack of development at a lot of key positions, namely on defense. But there are a specific few on offense we can look at too. Um, there's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of choices here. So you go ahead and go first. Yeah. Um, it's JOK for me. I think a big part of that is injuries. Uh, he only played 11 games. Um, he really, I mean, by the end of the season, you sort of forgot about him, uh, you know, that you for it had been so long since he'd been on the field. And for the most part, uh, he really just didn't make the, the type of impact when he was on the field that you had hoped from a guy that, you know, in his rookie season really looked like he was going to be an impact linebacker for the Browns and a guy that you, you really hoped like, okay, he, as a rookie, he flashed, he looks like he, you know, he belongs and he's, he's got the athleticism and the speed to really like make an impact. And he just never, he didn't take that leap when he was on the field. Uh, and then he was injured and, you know, didn't played only about half the season, which is tough. So, you know, I think he was another one of the guys when we talked before the season about why we thought the defense could be good, which is going to turn out to be one of the worst freezing cold takes of all time, uh, especially from my end, because I think one of my bold predictions was the Browns were going to have the top five defense. So if we could actually delete that project, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> you were not alone, man. We were all no, leaning into but this. That's what, what because expected. you look at these dudes and you look at how they played. Some of them played last year, especially as a rookie for JOK, and you just thought, well, the op- there's going to be an obvious leap like guys that are rookies are usually playing with their heads cut off you know they're not really they don't they don't know the system as well as they will in year two they don't know the spots the game speed is really fast and and when guys like that can still kind of flash and make plays like JOK did as a rookie you just sometimes you automatically assume that there's going to be that leap that that understanding of the defense that understanding of just how to be a pro NFL player and you know obviously the injuries robbed him of that opportunity to kind of find a rhythm in the second half of the season but that's part of the disappointment, just the inability to be on the field. And I think, you know, by the end of the season, the Browns linebacking core, they were trotting out dudes where I had to double check the roster. Uh, so it was a, it was a tough, it was a tough injury season for the linebacking core in general. But I think like JOK, you really, JOK, excuse me, you really hoped was like going to be a dude. Um, and I think the jury's still out there. So that was really disappointing for me because I thought he was going to play a, a huge role in, in this defense taking another step, but it just didn't happen. Fair, very fair. He ends up, not, and to your point, they had no linebacker play 50% of qualifying overall snaps this year uh, to qualify among the league. So that's kind of kind of crazy. So PFF will rank you on um, you playing 50% of 1,145 snaps. So they didn't have anybody play 50% at the linebacker position there. If you broaden it out to a different number, minimum number of 300, you get some more Browns guys who played um, a lot of those snaps. So um, he finishes out of the collective group of linebackers, 41st of how, let me see how many actually showed up here. 83. So right down the middle, yeah. could have been a worse season, could have been a better yep. season. I think we were all expecting like, Hey man, this guy was special. And there were still flashes of special stuff. Like he's still doing some nice things, but I think Jason Tarver's comments about how he adapts his body, how he plays his role, those things stood out that he has to get better at. Um, you know, especially stood out with uh, some of the tackling stuff. You know, his coverage marks were, were were pretty strong. He was actually 18th 
out of those 83 qualifiers in coverage grade and his sample size of 268 coverage snaps. So there's still a lot to be encouraged about with JOK, but based on what we thought, not good enough. And certainly qualifying for um, this exact category of disappointing compared to expectations. Next for me is still on defense is Denzel. Um, Huge contract uh, comes his way. A lot of belief from the organization and that hits and um, he was bad, man. He was, he was bad. And uh, it doesn't define Denzel's career. He certainly had been really consistent before this, but if you're looking at, you know, corners who played a significant amount of snaps this year, we talked about how promising the metrics were for Martin Emerson Uh, Denzel Ward ends up 72nd out of um, 120 qualifiers. And now he improved that late in the year in coverage grade. That got better. If you actually tighten this thing up to like 80% um, and look at guys who played a ton of snaps, I'm not sure he'll actually qualify here, but we'll check uh, to see if he qualifies. He actually doesn't qualify for that one. But if you do 50% and kind of tighten the group up into more of these guys who played a lot, um, and create a total list of 75. You're talking about Denzel's coverage grade, which ends up being a 60.4, which I think is pretty fitting uh, being 50th out of 75 this year. And that's certainly not what any of us were anticipating. He gave up three touchdowns. Yep. He did end up with three interceptions, um, but he gave up three touchdowns, didn't create much play on the ball outside of those interceptions compared to what is his career normally looks like. So like going down the line of Denzel's career, he had one, two, three, for five games with a 50 or below grade that caught us by surprise like his his overall defense grades through his career rookie year starting in 18 78.9 69.9 70.5 76.9 and now this year a 56.8 like it just it completely dipped he had um his worst marks and run defense and tackling missed nine tackles the second most of his career they had the highest missed tackle percentage he's had in his career he only had eight stop tackles so his impact in the run game wasn't very prevalent. He allowed um, his second highest completion percentage of his career. Um, but the thing that was alarming is he allowed the most yards per reception. He had been no more than 490 yards receiving allowed in this season. He had 543 this year um, and had his second highest NFL passer rating in his draft. He had eight penalties, which the most he'd had in the season was seven. So he set a new high on that one too. Just he we're kind of, we're waiting for him. I think the reason his grades lower than Norris because he was, he had really bad games. Like he normally has had pretty good to average games, but he had some really bad clunkers in there. I think at Cincinnati, think the Jets game, the Pittsburgh game, those early season games, um, the Chargers game, he was pretty bad in that one. Those drug him down. It wasn't wildly, wildly terrible, but I think when we look at like, they gave this guy a really healthy contract here he has to rise up and meet the echelon of corners that we all think he can because, you know, he's been to the Pro Bowl a few times and people count him and want to count him in that list of the best. And there's just something missing. There's something missing to his performance overall that has left some more to be desired. And this year, more than ever, I think we were left with a lot to be desired. And he just didn't, hasn't met that dominant shutdown number one corner yet. It doesn't mean he can't. And it doesn't mean he hasn't been good before this year, but I think it's pretty fair to say he was underwhelming compared to, and this is again, indicative of a lot of the defense underwhelming compared to what we thought he would be. Right. You know, so that's sort of where I lean on, on Denzel, but I think you can also mention Jedrick Wills too. I mean, that's another guy who we expected yeah. to leap and did not leap. Um, I'm not sure. I think he's 
more disappointing to me based on expectations than Denzel, but he's a fair answer in that category. And one that if we do a pod on like, who are you concerned about the future of he's in that list, that short list of big time concern for me. So, but anyway, Denzel, I think is a fair winner of that category. Yeah. I I think you're spot on. Um, And I think, you know, the overarching theme is just a lot of guys, especially on defense, just sitting now Denzel's been in the, in the, in the league for a while, but like, a lot of the younger guys, there just wasn't that leap. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you can, you know, same thing with Jed from year one to two and year one that was really encouraging for a lot of younger guys. Um, you know, they just didn't, they, they either plateaued or they regressed. Um, and that is, um, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign on the coaching staff. It's not a great sign on the players. Like that is a responsibility that I think everybody has a part to play in, but it is a, it is a very, glaring theme of of this season for the Browns is just you know the the players that you expected that that would take a leap got worse or regressed and uh, hopefully that trend goes the other direction uh, next season uh, but for this season yeah that was that was probably the most disappointing part of it I agree all right last category here is going to be best or in worst game uh, nominations um, I'll let you go with your two and then I'll see if we match up because there's not a ton of uh best games yeah. here, but there's there's plenty of worst yeah i mean i think the best game was a pretty easy one both of us uh, i think we agreed on this was the was the win over cincinnati first of all a couple things it was on halloween huge just spooky vibes huge. at home monday night game that was televised yeah. uh and you didn't really know like how the browns were going to perform they had lost i believe four in a row uh at that point uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. They lost to, that was coming off a loss to Atlanta. That was coming, which was, uh, that was coming off a loss to the chargers that was coming off a beat down by the Patriots. And then a really close loss uh, against Baltimore. So that was like a game where it was like, well, if they lose this, that's that, you know, the season is pretty much, that'll be it. Um, yeah. And it, they came out and they dominated. It was probably Jacoby Brissett's best game. Uh, I think from a, from an offensive standpoint, um Nick Chubb had over 100 yards Cooper Amari went for 131 receiving yards that game and they just completely shut down uh Joe Burrow and that offense now if I'm not mistaken they did not have Jamar Chase uh in that game but even still uh, like we've seen what that Bengals offense has become sort of since that time um now I think you can say the Bengals were still trying to find their rhythm a little bit and uh they weren't the well-oiled sort of offensive machine that they have become since but even still, I think like for what this Browns defense was for most of the season to hold the Bengals to 13 points um, and to drop 32 on them, uh, that was a big deal. So, Jake, that really felt like, man, after that game, it was like, cool, huge win. They're going into the bye. They can come out of the bye. They can, you know, hopefully win some of the games out of the bye that they need to win. Um, that obviously didn't happen. But uh, yeah, that for a, for a fleeting moment, it felt like the Browns sort of had righted the ship a little bit. Uh, and, and that was really a highlight of the season. So if you isolate that game Monday night against the Bengals on Halloween, that was a pretty fun one. Completely agree. What's, what's funny is two years in a row, this sort of mid season Bengals Browns game has made absolutely no sense. Like yep, the Bengals lose, like he, <laughs> it's weird. The Bengals lose 41, 16 at home to Cleveland in 2021, where Baker Mayfield lights the world on fire. Then they rattle off two wins, dominant wins, 32, 13 over the Raiders, 
41-10 over the Steelers right after that. And then obviously launch into uh, winning the division and, and going to the Super Bowl this year. And then really, if you look at the Browns last year, that game makes no sense for them. They had gone, here's what they did surrounding, here's points scored in games surrounding that Cincinnati game. Um, weeks, uh, week six, Cardinals, 14 points. Week seven, Broncos, 17. Week eight, Steelers, 10. Week nine, Cincinnati, 41. Week 10, <laughs> New England, 7. Week 11, yeah. Detroit, 13. Week 12, Baltimore, 10. Like that's that game makes no sense. And it was the same for this year in a sense for Cincinnati. Again, if you look at what Cincinnati season has been, they give up third, they score 13 points in that game against uh, the Browns. And they had not, they had not had chase the week before and they went without him for a couple after here's the points around that two weeks before new Orleans, 30 Atlanta, 35 Cleveland, 13 Carolina, 42 the following week. Pittsburgh, 37, 20 against the Titans, 27 against the Chiefs, and they kept scoring. Like a ga- The game makes no sense. So, And it's funny you talk about that was like the game you felt the Browns played. But yeah, it was their singular highest pro football focus collective overall graded game, 88.3. The next highest was Week 17 Commander, 77.8. Like by far their best overall performance um, collectively. Uh, you know, for, for a single game, the second highest total defensive grade. Uh, uh, the only other one was that commander's game and uh, the highest offensive game they've put, they put together all season too. So um, I think it's very fair to think uh, the vibes around that game, what they needed to do. And, you know, again, it's just two years of those mid season Bengals games making absolutely no sense at all. Um, I think the worst one, I'll go first on the worst one. I think there's two obvious candidates their third highest graded game overall week two against the jets. And they oh, lost that hurts. Actually, you, <laughs> that know hurts. you know, what's unfathomable and really in their schedule, their win loss stuff makes sense. They're they're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight lowest graded games are losses. There are, there are two games that should be wins that are in their top four overall graded games that are losses. It's unfathomable. The Jets and Chargers game. I think the Jets game is one of the worst losses I've ever consumed. Like between. Absolutely. Between um, maybe, you know, you can go back and look at Bottlegate. That's very fair. You can go back and look at um, the uh, the Chiefs opener. Was that 90, 2000, 2001? I'm not sure what that was. The helmet tossing Dwayne Rudd game. Terrible. Yeah. There are many terrible Browns losses in our in our lifetime. But this was up there. I've never seen and i think it, it did i would say if they win that jets game the the season goes completely different i really firmly believe that that game was a galvanizing loss and it was early it's only week two but the way they lost it something like teams in that position with the opposing team with this many timeouts left or whatever whatever or something along the lines of like oh and you know, or so they've won like like 500 straight. It was something bananas. One of those random Browns yeah. where no one loses and they found a way to lose. Like, I, I really do believe that if that game goes differently, the season goes differently um, in a lot of ways. And that loss was unlike anything I've ever, I could not, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So yeah. having those two losses that looked like your season could have been nine and eight and in the playoffs uh, with the Jets and Chargers lingering right there as two of your highest four graded games on the year and those losses are sitting there. It makes no sense. And it really is 
the story of the year. It just it's the story of the year. It is. And just to add on to the the Jets thing, I think like there there was a a lot of foreshadowing from that game. I mean, there was foreshadowing in the Panthers game too, uh, because just in terms of you know the busted coverages that happened. Uh, but the Jets game, it was so much more glaring because that deep ball <laughs> that Flacco hit, where there Corey was just Davis. no communication. Oh yeah, and with Ward and and one of the safeties, and they just let him go right up the sideline all by himself. And you just that was one where you're like, okay, like this is happening far too frequently, and we're two games into the season. Like what? Like is the going Panthers on? ones, um, you could you could say were excusable because they were they were at least in like moderate yes. neutral situations. This was yes. Hey, these guys can't score a touchdown in like two plays, brother. They got a minute and forty, yeah. no timeouts. We're up thirteen. And you just let them run. You just you just completely failed to even have any idea what coverage you're in. I, I it was it was the singular. I would say this, Jordan, was the singular most unfathomable play of the entire season. I, I would I 100%. think I firmly believe that it it was what it made so little sense that I remember like on the broadcast and then like days later, people were still trying to figure out how the Browns <laughs> miscommunicated in a situation where you're essentially playing prevent defense. So that's uh. That was a great time. Um, I think it's up there with the Greg Williams, New York Jets cover zero with like 10 seconds left against the Raiders (laughs) in that 2020. It's up there. I just couldn't, I could not believe it. I I really am still, it's actually re-pissing me off now that I'm thinking about uh, that. You know, the, 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 the onside kick is, is it is that that's just what you leave that stuff open to chance. And every now and again, that's going to happen. Right. And like then after that game, people were arguing that Nick Chubb should have just went down and playing the like it tore into it tore into it It really it really like ripped into and started a divisive whole thing where who do we blame? No, man, you blame the defense, man. What are we doing? Like it was just it was it was hilarious to me and it really was uh, indicative of where the whole season was going. But you also have another good one, too, that is uh, their worst singular worst graded offense, defense, special teams game of the season. Yeah, well, you know, I I mentioned I alluded to this a little bit, but they win that game against Cincinnati. They go into their bye, and you know, you didn't think going into Miami would be easy. And at that point, Miami was that was probably the peak of the Dolphins' season uh, in in terms of how they were playing. So you didn't think it was going to be easy by any means, but you thought with you know two weeks to prepare for for what the Dolphins. We're doing, and I think you saw. Now, to be fair, these were better defenses, but I think you know you saw some defenses start to do some things to the Dolphins later on in the second half of that season, where they really were able to slow down that passing attack because they were figuring out how sort of Tua and and Mike McDaniel sort of like how they were designing it, and the Browns, the Browns did not do that, Jake. Uh, they didn't they didn't come close to figuring it out. In fact, um, they 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 basically that defense that day was you can take whatever you want. Um, and that was really, that was really tough. I mean, offensively, they also didn't play well. You know, Nick Chubb only had 63 yards rushing in that game. Brissett barely threw for over 200. Um, they, you know, they didn't play well offensively, but they they gave up 39 points to a Dolphins team that, you know, they obviously have weapons in Tyreek and, and Jalen Waddle, but I mean, they provided almost no resistance and that game was over almost as soon as it started. And, and I think for, for as high as we were going into the bye and feeling like, okay, you know, yes, their schedule toughens up. They've got Miami, Buffalo, Tampa Bay, but like you thought one of the, out of those games, you kind of felt like, okay, you know, they can play with Miami. Miami's defense had not been good all season. 
Um, and, and you thought if they could just get a couple of, you know, get off the field on some third downs, they would have a chance to compete in that game. And they just got absolutely wrecked. And I think that's, that's when we felt like, man, this, the defense is such a problem that uh, it's going to, it's going to make it really difficult for this team to compete for a playoff spot because the defense just, if there's any talent on the field. Uh, and that <laughs> I believe that was a game where both Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson, Jeff Wilson Jr., who had been on the team for like, I don't know, a week, uh, ran all over the Browns, too. So it was just it was tough all around. And it, and it really was a a deflating after you have two weeks to really prepare for a team to like come out and that be the performance. That one hurt. That one hurt, man. Not as much as the Jets, but, but, but that's my runner up. Yeah, that was some uh, that was some Ronnie Brown Wildcat ease uh, ease of runs going on there. Listen, I don't know sure if there's was. any I don't know if there's anything to this, um, and I don't have any research on other teams, but the Browns uh, again one two three four five six seven eight nine worst graded games, seven of them came on the road. Um, so again, I don't know if there's anything to that. I haven't really researched other teams, but. Um, is it indicative of a problem traveling and playing? They had two higher graded games. The Texans uh, was a top five collective graded game, although the offense was one of their worst performances, uh, largely boosted by good special teams and timely defense. The commanders game at the end of the year, um, the other one, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of road struggles there, um, which yep. is, which is interesting and of note, as we say, that's going to be it. That is a wrap. I think we covered everything we could in terms of, uh, just superlatives or, or awards and demerits or whatever we want to call this thing. We have covered it all. Um, there's going to be, listen, you know, I spend January doing a lot of recapping of the year because that's, in my opinion, the time to do it. And I don't want to talk about the year. You have to reflect on it and look at what happened, where it went right, where it went wrong. More so when you go seven and 10 is where it went wrong. Um, but you don't want to spend too much time on it. But I think January is worth it. So there's going to be some depressing podcasts the rest of this month at times. Um, and we're going to have to talk about a lot of ugly things before we get to future forecasting and all that. But, um, for now, I think handled it uh, as best we could. Uh, you might disagree with us. And if you do respond to us on Twitter, let us know where we maybe missed something, or if we, um, should have included a category that you maybe thought we should have included or something like that. Let us know. But Jordan, man, we always, always, always appreciate your time, my friend. And we will hopefully link up again next week. Absolutely, man. Um, you know, it, the playoffs, I think, will be fun. It, it obviously was not the season uh, that we had hoped for. It was a weird season, probably one of the weirdest Brown seasons on on record, just in terms of everything that happened, everything that happened in the off season, everything that happened. You know, basically playing two different two different offenses, two different quarterbacks, just w- waiting for another quarterback to replace uh, the guy that started the season. So just weird all around. So I hope Browns fans like decompress, watch some playoffs. Watch some good football that makes you happy when you don't also don't have to have a major rooting influence in it, um, you know, and, and enjoy, you know, take your mind off the Browns for a little bit because God knows they made us, they made us probably argue this, this year more than we have in even at the, at the peak of the, is Baker good? <laughs> is Baker going to be here? Is the, the quarterback of the future type of argument? So, you know, and that's never, it's never an enjoyable way to consume sports. So um, decompress, I'm going to I'm going to watch Herbert and Trevor Lawrence go at it. Sneaky fun game coming up this weekend, but but lots of good football to be watched. So, kick it up. Lots kick kick your feet up, watch some games, get into it. Yeah, but thanks man. Thanks for having me as always. It was fun to do this every week with you. Yeah, we'll continue to try to get Jordan's time if we can. Uh maybe not as consistently as we did uh during the season, but um we'll keep shooting for uh some times to talk about some fun categories when we can find them 
and like we said, doing some uh, some looking forward type stuff. But yeah, there are there are certainly ways to spend. I don't think it takes any. It's not even a spin cycle here. This is this is a tough time to be a Browns fan um, based on what optimism you have for the future and some of the things looming and uh, the lack of potential excitement and free agency in the draft. Like there's some good stuff that could happen here and it could all come together and they could win 13 games next year. You never know. But uh, you also can see where it's a bit of a challenge and it was a really long season and this has a potential to be a really um, arduous off season uh, for them this year based on how it finished for them collectively. So anyway, we'll keep doing uh, what we do, dropping hour and 20 minute podcast. If you're still listening to this episode, uh, major, <laughs> major, major Huge shout props. out to you. Huge props. Yeah. We really appreciate you. But anyway, Jordan and I are out. We're signing off. Thanks for being here with us. We appreciate your time as much as uh, as much as anything, because then there'd be no other point to do this without you guys listening. And you guys have been such amazing, loyal listeners. So thank you for that. Check out the OBR for all your defensive coordinator updates and many more things coming in season review mode for the next few weeks. So check that out. Thanks for being here, guys. Have a great Wednesday. Appreciate you. Go Browns. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.